Welcome back to the Think Education podcast. Myself, Chris Hill, and co-host Judith Lammy today with you, as always, chatting about all things international higher education. Um, and today, I suppose we are, we're going to be talking about something, I guess, hot off the press, right? So it's, it's I mean, it's both an emerging issue and a very old issue, right? This is, this is something that plagues i guess institutions and governments and indeed people um this sort of notion of international students and how they're viewed how they're counted how they're valued how they're supported how they're blocked how they're politicized right i mean it's uh um it's all part of it's part of the game i guess but it's it's a an issue that can lead to well, I mean, massive unrest for the students themselves, right? Uncertainty for the institutions. Um, um, do you have any... Uh, <laughs> obviously, you have views on this. Um, you must have personal views and you obviously have institutional views. But um, what's your current thinking on, on this? We've talked a lot about international students. I mean, we write about internationalization and mobility all the Absolutely. time, right? And the third book is specifically looking at people inside this world. So... What's your what's your views on on what's happening very recently and and I guess more more historically? Well, I suppose if if we delve into what's happening in the UK at the moment, um, and all of my views are always personal, sure. <laughs> they may be held by some people in my own institution, they may be held by some people in other institutions. With some of them, I hope they are, but certainly everything I say is. Um, is deeply personal. Yes, we've recently had um, what is usually a, a reasonably good um, publication in our press, the mm. Sunday Times, uh, producing an article about uh, international students, which I think has, uh, it's safe to say, been resoundingly trounced, not just by the sector, but by many beyond it, um, referring to the to these, to our secret pathway programs and lucrative agents and um and uh, you know i found it two things about these kind of things when they happen one particularly when when you know about something and you read something like this and what is an established and as i say reasonably well respected newspaper you start to question pretty much everything else mm. that you read in any any other type of newspaper, and it reminds me a bit of Evelyn Waugh's scoop. Um, I mean, I always read things with a healthy dose of, of, of scepticism, anyway, just in in case somebody has just made it up. Um, but this one, then, so then on the other hand, of course, and when you are reading something where you know about the detail because you you lived it, you breathed sure. it, you've been yep. part of that sector for such a long time, and you know that it, it's just. It's not even lazy, sloppy journalism, which one gets to expect from some parts of the uh, that particular sector. Uh, but it's just it just blatantly inaccurate. Yeah. It's actually just lying. It's not truth. It's not even been economical with the actuality. <laughs> it's, it's making it up. It's using a series of selected words and then putting them together and they really shouldn't make any sense whatsoever. I'm reminded of Eric Morecambe, you know, and you're playing all the right notes but not necessarily in the right order. Yeah. Might be all the right words, but they're not necessarily in the right order. So so I remember, so I was reading this. My, my 
yes, well, at, at home it was sort of just left on a left on a coffee table, and people just disappeared because I thought, oh, there's going to be a lot of shouting in the moment, you know. Um, and I just found it, you know, as I say, quite staggering that that we'd still people would still have these views, be voicing them. It is election year. I'm aware of this, and it is something that you know plays to the mindset of a number of different types of uh, people. But it then did, um, I suppose, finally on this just just this initial reaction to it. Um, Finally, then, it made me think about the book we're writing about journeys. Mm -hmm. And I thought, if you were an international uh, student uh, and and you're experiencing this international journey and maybe you've arrived at your Mm -hmm. destination, maybe you're en route, maybe you're just thinking about coming and you read something like this, what role would the, the, the press pa- play in this, you know, if it was, um, if it was a story, mm-hmm. what kind of role would they play? Would they play the, you know, benign innkeeper who would help you and let you, you know, stay for the night? Would they be a troll mm-hmm. under a bridge? I always think trolls get a bit hard pressed, so probably <laughs> not that, um, but something not dissimilar. You know, it's, it's, what, how would you react if you are, in, in many ways, therefore, then the, the content mm-hmm. of, of this article? You know, if you're somebody that has been through one of these secret, yes. unquote, pathway programs, that would be the worst kept secret in, in the world, then I would think, really, given the decades that we've <laughs> yes. had them and how well respected they are and how, you know, the QAA and everybody seemed to know about them perfectly well. So I don't know that that I think it would be interesting maybe for us also to to ask some of our students you know what they might feel about them. I would imagine it puts a lot of people off as well, looking and thinking, oh, that's how I'm going to be treated. Is it if this is also how one of the one of the the, the best newspapers in a certain country responds to me coming? You know that that I would think you know would be really. I don't know what I mean, Chris. From from the from in this particular instance, the relative sanity of, of Dubai. How do you look on this particular instance in the UK? I know there have been others, so we can touch upon those in a moment as well. But what are your thoughts with regard to this one? Yeah, I mean, I so like you, I, I agree. It would be very interesting to to learn from from students um, because I'm. I guess I'm looking at it. A little bit like you, but obviously less like you because I'm not inside the UK system. Um, I'm looking at it as from a sort of what researcher or or you know academic perspective in terms of how how the sector is and how it's explained and how it's viewed. Um, and uh, from from that perspective, it's it's a little <laughs> it's a little strange to say to say the least. Um, Trying to think about how I would think about it if I was inside the, you know, as a student, I think that would be very, very different. Um, I don't know how much credence people, you know, would give to newspapers. It's, it's the same thing, you know, where the role of agents for international students, you know, and, and how students view rankings versus how, you know, universities view rankings, whereas how students view sort of the student experience, et cetera. So um, uh, there are bits and pieces of this puzzle that just I'm not, I'm not really sure about. I mean, what I, what I don't understand and how I, I guess I view this is, with a, a little bit of just incredulity, that I think there are genuine things you can criticise, 
you know, internationalization for, you know, and, and there are issues that you can bring up about student experience and you can bring up about student safety and you can bring up about, you know, genuine things where integration and, and et cetera, that we are still within the sector, still, you know, debating and, and talking about. And I think those are maybe more nuanced than public opinion is interested in, right? It's it's easy just to boil it down to, we had this conversation a few, a few, well, I suppose many podcasts ago, you know, when, when international students are treated as immigrants or they're treated as a workforce or, or they're viewed in a, you know, put in a different type of a box and then it's sort of easier for, I guess, easier for the society to understand or count them, but completely misses the point of the value of international students and what they bring to uh, their local community and indeed the national community as a, you know, a broader picture. So, I mean, I was very disappointed to read this. I mean, it was, it's kind of laughable until you, you know, the second thought is this is not, this is not a joke. This is, you know, this is a worrying reality that if it can be framed in this way, which is another layer beyond how you count international students. And now it's like, oh, look, now it's not just how we count them. Now almost in effect, they're coming in illegally and it's a secret and what's being subverted. And you think, hang on, as you say, and as, you know, I mean, not just Vivian Stern, but Vivian Stern as as pretty much always the voice of reason in, in you know these debates. Um, yeah, and uh, you know just looking at the reality, it's like well, these can't be secret, as you said. They're they're public domain. They are established. These are in some cases decades old. They are you know a they are quite literally a pathway into that's what you know that's how they yes. how they exist. They are a, a recruitment source um, um, and a transparent recruitment source. You know, so it's. It's very worrying that that this type of of debate is now moving almost like it's you know trying to chip away at further further the internationalization you know agenda and, and devalue um, the true positives of what of what that can be and as you say you know completely sort of forgetting the fact that these are people you know these are people's lives who have now yes. effectively been branded. You know, both the institutions in both cases, you know, but also and the agents and the, the individuals and the students and their families by extension. Right. You know, they, we've branded them in a certain way. It was like, oh, well, you know, you've ter- you've taken advantage and you subverted this. And you think, well, hang on. As you say, this, you know, this is well, if the if the idea is to prevent recruitment, then, you know, it's certainly maybe working in that direction. But, um, yeah, very, very strange very strange. I mean, you know, this debate about, oh, there are too many international students or we have too many international students or, you know, we need to cap numbers of international students. This is not a new debate. You know, many countries are consistently having this this conversation, you know, whether it's economic or whether it's political or, or whether it's capacity, you know, it's... Um, but this is, this is taking it... And I don't... I mean, is your sense that this is um, just... A mistake is this your you know is it that it's you know deliberately trying to provoke something that it's deliberately trying to subvert i mean what's what's the what's the you know debate within I, the country I can, I can only i can only think that that is the case because it's so <laughs> it's it's so specific isn't it in many ways in its target of the the pathway programs that you have or the international foundation programs which, as you say, it's very transparent, rigorous, you know, um, procedures for the acceptance of 
students, you know, and then the students come on those programmes, they study incredibly hard. I mean, of all of the types of programmes, you know, for, 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 for people to be, I'd say looking at, but they're not looking at them or investigating them because they clearly didn't look at them at all. You know, when you know of the hours and hours that students put into their study of, of how the, the, the teachers and the lecturers on the program, um, you know, are themselves highly qualified and have to be highly mm-hmm. qualified, how many of the programs are accredited, yep. you know, the, the, the examinations they take, the work that they do. You know, I've run departments that have been responsible for these programs. I've recruited the teachers. I've met the students. I've seen them come in and, and you know, they work enormously hard. Um, and some of them don't make it through the programme. Sure. Some of them don't qualify. They, if, if they're not able to graduate through the programme, they're not able to go on to the, to the university. And that's heartbreaking for many of them. Of course. But actually, you've got your quality, you've got your standards. And really importantly, though, in, in many ways, you don't want students to be going on to... To programs and they shouldn't be if they won't be able to cope which they wouldn't be able to cope if they couldn't um you know graduate through those programs or pass through those programs which they you know if they do they've earned that right because they've studied incredibly hard to to be able to to come on to a, a university course mm. and in many ways as well it's it's not only therefore glaringly inaccurate it's also it's almost the 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 absolute opposite of what they're suggesting you know so not only are the courses extremely high quality and are managed and delivered very carefully and monitored very carefully but actually a student that's been through any foundation program similar in many ways to a pre-sessional program or a program that they they take before they come to a university which again they have to pass and yep. it's all very robust before they come on they are actually, and I did some writing on this uh, myself a number of years ago, um, they are actually very often, you know, the students that excel because they've been here a longer period of time. Yeah, Their yeah. English is, in, is, is even better than when they arrive. They're used to being here. Mm. So some of those initial issues that you have when you first arrive and the concerns of leaving your family miles and miles away and you're studying in English, etc., you know, those have abated and, and so they're getting used to the culture, they're getting used to, to the study and they really throw themselves into it. And they end up, you know, outperforming mm. all students on their programmes, not just the other international ones, but, you mm. know, our domestic ones as well. So as I say, I did some writing about this um, when I was at the University of Birmingham with, um, with Dr. Steve Isitt. Uh, because we, at the time, we, we, we used, and bearing in mind this now must have been 20 years ago, so there's still the same sorts of things have been said then. And people were saying, well, you know, international students, we let them in and then they're really poor quality and then they all get thirds, if, if, if that, and then they leave. And when you work, you know, day in, day out with international students, you see how hard they work. It, it, is, it is just, it's not only deeply insulting to everybody, but it's extremely aggravating and you get I get angry on their behalf mm. you know they're busy still working they're like well you know there's a newspaper I'm not going to read it um and and so we actually did did some primary research on it at the University of Birmingham uh, uh which clearly demonstrated you know that uh they were as good if not better 
and and did perform extremely well. They had to work hard. Everybody has to work hard to to graduate well from university. That's what it takes. Mm. Um, and sometimes I think we just underestimate how much more motivated often our international students are to perform, given very often how much, not not that they've spent just in terms of finance, but, you know, that, that emotional investment mm-hmm. that it takes to leave your home and your family and everybody for however many years you've, you've done that, um, rarely, if ever, going, going back during that period of time. So, you know, I, I think that's, so a little bit of it is here we go again. Let's mm. have a go at international students dropping in the occasional line of well, you know the the students themselves, you know, are poor quality. Then dropping in the line about substandard programs. So that's making people think of what was written a little while ago about our programs that mm-hmm. that you know some programs of some universities that shouldn't be existing, etc. Um, so that just those those are almost like niggly little digs that people are having all the time. But but to, to then try and look more specifically and therefore give it a sort of a false I can't even think of the word, but you know, it, it because they're looking at something specific, if you don't know about this yeah, yeah, exactly. and you read it you believe it. You, you know what I mean? It's almost like you've talked about something in great detail and something quite specific. And, well, I don't know about it, but that's, this sounds like it must be true, mm. surely. Yeah. And it's only when you know about it that you know that it's wildly inaccurate. You know, And, of course, then all of the things that have been written since, and there's been a, a great article um, in The Pie, yeah. uh, for example, uh, you know, the, um, the Professionals in International Education, uh, by uh, Sophie Hogan, uh, as in a, a sort of re- response to this, but also you know bringing together some of the um, some of the responses across the sector, including uh, Vivian Stearns and and others. But of course, the readership for this will be the people that know about mm-hmm. the inaccuracy of it, and it wasn't on the front page of yeah. you know one of our newspapers, uh, and indeed on. Um, on the websites and on the news websites and and I would imagine that therefore people won't be publicising the response in any great way or indeed will be saying, well, this is a response from the sector, but it would be, wouldn't it? So, yeah. you know, it's it's really, it's damaging and it's just, it's, I think, deeply unsettling for everybody who's part of the process. And as, as I said at the beginning, it's... Um, you might expect it from some types of publications, but I'm real. I am surprised is too strong a word because I'm never surprised at anything that I read <laughs> in any newspaper. But I would have thought better of a newspaper that I did at least have some respect for. Yeah, yeah. It's curious, isn't it? Because you you end up being in that really crazy situation of trying to disprove a negative. And yet, no matter yes. what you say, it sounds as if, oh, well, you're on the defensive. Well, yes, because yeah. <laughs> it, there's been an attack. Um, and it's it's strange. I mean, the way in the last, whatever it's been, five so years, the way information and facts and reality have, have I guess, evolved. I don't know if that, that's the right word, but have changed, mm-hmm. you know, sufficient that these types of things can become real, you know, simply by having said them. 
um, uh, and and the way information flows, and, and the fact that you know, although we have access to more information than we've ever had, you know, generationally, exactly as you said. Well, I don't really know about this topic, but I read it, and therefore, well, it must be true, right? I mean, otherwise, why would they why would they say it? And then, and then that becomes the dominant position, and then you know, the response becomes a, a defense against what is true. And I well, then, if you're defending something that's true, that must be untrue you know and it becomes kind of a weird cycle of um yes. of you can't you can't win but to say nothing you can't win either it's a you know it's a very strange world that we are very much living in um when it's like well no that's that's not a fact that i like so i'm going to go with this fact like, well, okay mm-hmm. okay that's that's interesting that we can do that now um uh yeah and and i suppose as you said you know it's it's part of it is inevitable right you know um and we, I suppose, we do have to accept that the the issue of internationalization is a political issue, you know, because we we talk about this within Tierney, right? We're talking about governmental, you know, uh, collaboration. We're talking about you know accreditation. We're talking about economic drivers. We are talking about education moving in an international sphere. And you are setting up a program in another country, another jurisdiction, another legal framework. You know, it is political why you are invited, why you choose to go there, why you choose not to go there. It, it is a political yeah. function. Um, and so to an extent, we are we should expect a politicization of education. I mean, that's, that's kind of part and parcel. Um, but this, yeah, I mean, this just seems perhaps an inevitability of once you begin that conversation, it's just where you just you look for every any avenue you can to to build up your position or your perspective. But no, it's it's one thing to to make an accusation. It's one thing to make a point, but it's another when you make a a false point, um, and then it it just becomes yes. a becomes a, an issue. Um, I suppose then, um, Chris, thinking thinking more more broadly of with other countries and other areas as well. I suppose it is as you say though about that attitude, that underlying attitude to international students, isn't it? And yeah. um, and. You know, and, and I don't mean the attitude of those at university with them or those in the community, even, but more broadly, as you say, those those within the, within the political sphere, those within the you know the the the, the, the media mm. and how the media sort of react to you know students and 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 I suppose the. And then how, how governments do and how the, they seem to think that, well, if they behave in such a way that this will make them appealing or they would appeal to certain members of mm-hmm. the, 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 the general public, um, which I also think is inaccurate, to, to, be, to be honest, you know, certainly whenever, wherever I've been and wherever I've lived and, you know, worked in the community with, with the international students and... You know, often we would, um, some of the universities I've, I've worked in, you know, we would go into schools and students would give sessions in schools and, you know, it would just be fantastic and everybody would be learning from mm. each other and it was a wonderful environment. Um, so, it, it yeah, it just is, it seems to be constantly trying to 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 create a reaction, to create a, a negative reaction, be it here or... Mm in you know in the countries where the students come from i mean i think there have been similar challenges coming out of both canada which has been mm-hmm. surprising i mm. think and um 
Australia recently, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, particularly when, I mean, yeah, Canada was a surprise. Australia's kind of, you know, back and forth because they they were looking to obviously regain their international recruitment numbers from pre-COVID and I'm pretty sure they exceeded them and, you know, they were, um, and then obviously there's, well, not obviously, I guess now there's the backlash to that. So, well, now there's too many and, you know, um, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting, it's interesting, I mean, you know, uh, having worked in like you in different places, that there are different motivations for why international recruitment happens, you know, and, and in some cases it's a, a very economic model and, you know, you can demonstrate the economic value and the students, you know, it's very hard for them to work so they, they kind of have to go home post-degree and, you know, that that's kind of one way of looking at it. Where I work now, in Dubai, the drive is absolutely to build capacity. It's, you know, the, the, the Emirate is specifically looking for international people to come and stay, um, to build, you know, to build yeah. the infrastructure, to build the capacity. So, it, you know, it's a different sort of mindset as to how you view, I mean, that's not without its own challenges. You know, I mean, I work in a place where 90 something percent of us are not from here, right? So there's obviously a, a majority minority difference in terms of, of how you would, you would view that. Um, and it's interesting because I, I almost wonder not that universities okay this is going to sound strange not that universities we aren't doing enough to demonstrate the value of international students but i think we are not doing enough to demonstrate the value of international students so i'm not saying that we should do it as a response to this but we've talked about that this this with many people in our podcasts about you know how how a university demonstrates its value to the community as just as an institution and then you know how it demonstrates you know the people and 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 how it can add to the community and how that vibrancy can um uh be reflected back and sort of support growth and i mean you know clearly there's there's many stories of of really good activity going on and obviously areas where we could could all do do more to, to celebrate that sort of diversity and and you know as you said you know particularly once you start going to schools and once you start going into community and once you start, you know, making those links and connections, they become, students become people. They don't become a number. Right? And then it becomes that, you know, kind of the point of our, well, not the point of our book, but what we are learning as we work on this book, more and more that personalization of the student, that personalization of the staff member, you know, that sort of humanization of whomever, um, our understanding grows, our empathy grows, and, and, you know, kind of our learning grows. And, and yeah. um, it's easy to treat them as numbers because, as we've talked about before, there is an economic reality to education, right? There, there is a bottom line that universities adhere to. So there is that reality, right, that universities are businesses. And, and so, yes, people in your your level have to focus on that to an extent. But there's also the... The flip side where you know they are people too and as you say have left home maybe for the first time and and may not may not go back right during the the course of their studies i mean that's you know that's a reality for many just from cost etc so i think you're right it's almost as well that 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 dual dual purpose that you can you can look at um one is you know the just the the pure richness and cultural diversity and understanding that our international staff base Mm. and students Mm -hmm. bring to the university and to the city and the region in which they're placed you know the way in which you can we've had you know wonderful students on this 
podcast, haven't we? Remember the discussion we had with Jason, you know, about mm. Barara from Zimbabwe and the discussions we had for the book with his with his mother. You know, the amount that we learnt from him and, and how he has and many others have helped shape understanding, you know, here and 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 how he himself has has, has learned mm-hmm. you know so there's that side of it uh then there's the the pedagogical side yep. you know working with also others within the within the lecture room working with them on projects and so there's you know when whether you might then get an opportunity to have an exchange with students and you know, so there's there's all of that side and there's so there's the side that then is about the benefits that the international students and staff bring to the institution and to themselves. And then you can, and if you, you can completely draw a line and then you can look at the financial mm. aspect of it as well. And we all know that, you know, universities lose money in teaching undergraduate students mm. because the costs have gone up and the cost of the student has stayed mm. the same. So to the students, they the same, and so naturally, you know, things, things, you know, the universities have to look to other ways. If 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 people would still like to come to a university to get a degree uh, and to have universities, then you've got to think of another way to balance your books. Otherwise, you can't pay people because yeah. people do quite like to get paid. Shocking, you know, yes. they they won't cover these. I know it's unbelievable. Um, so so, and we, we like to pay people. So, you know, we, we are losing money from home students. As I say, we, we know that. It would be like going back 20 years, the amount you used to pay to buy a car. Mm. You know, I think my first car cost about £50. Now, wouldn't it be great if you could still go out and buy a car for that now? Mm. Uh, well, you know, some things haven't changed in terms of what it's costing yeah. that the individual to buy it. But the actual cost of delivering it, of course, has changed dramatically. So that doesn't make money for the for universities. Research doesn't make money for a university either. It doesn't matter how good the research is and what you're bringing in. It plows back into research. Of course, the benefit is in the impact of it. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, and then the impact of what it might be, be it medical research, technological research, you know, cultural research, all of those, of course, there's massive impact and benefit, but it's not financial. Mm. So you start to eat away at what actually the university can do to bring in any finance. And one of the ways you can do that, of course, is by bringing in international students. But then we conflate the issue, don't we? We say the only reason international students come to the UK is, you know, to bring money into universities. And that, of course, isn't true. But it does financially benefit university. And it means, really importantly, the most important point is it means the university can exist. And if the university can exist, then it can pay its staff and it can contribute the millions it contributes to the region and the city in which it's placed. Because it's not just that it's the people working at the university that are employed. Of course, then you're living here, you're living in the community, you're employing bus drivers, you're employing people in supermarkets and your whole economic infrastructure, particularly in smaller cities, if you, if you think. I mean, when I'm thinking also of when I worked at, at Derby University. You know, you, you, you're talking there, excellent, you know, great university in a city that's, that's got 250,000 people. I think if you took that university out of that city, 
it would have a dramatic yeah, impact sure. on just how it would operate. Very similar, I guess, to Swansea, a similar size. You know, if you took uh, Trinity St. David and and Swansea University out of out of the city, the impact will be catastrophic. It's, it is taking up two massive great businesses mm-hmm. and everything that it brings with it. And that's the bit, I think, that, that everything then gets sort of conflated and and all of a sudden either international students are taking the place of home students or they're only coming in to provide money so we'll bring in whoever we can and that clearly is not the case Um, and it would be wouldn't it be welcome and refreshing if there was a a reaction from a from a different newspaper it'd be refreshing if there was a reaction from the same one Um, but wouldn't it be refreshing if there was a a reaction from one that would actually just put out there what the reality of the situation is with no agenda themselves but of course because everybody's got an agenda nobody's going to do that and in an election year in the UK well you're probably only going to do what you think the majority of people want be that accurate or not so a bit of a sad day really from that point of view I'd say yeah absolutely yeah um Maybe our book will change everything. Yes. <laughs> well, this, this, this would maybe make a small case study in the middle of it. Yeah. Just, you know, that, that part in, it's like the, that part in a, in a Shakespeare play or in any movie or in any book when it's all getting a bit despairing and the hero or the heroine or the dog or the cat or whoever's, you know, leading the story are just had enough and they're at the top of the hill going, I can't take it anymore. And then all of a sudden everything's all. Yes. We will get to that point. But just at this particular moment, the cliffhanger is, you know, as it is. Yeah. Yeah, and there it is, right? I mean, hopefully people can be better informed. You know, our world shouldn't be completely black and white. You know, international students can be two things at the same time. They can be a financial Mm. addition to the university and they can be a huge cultural impact to the community. You know, why do we have to view them as one one thing? So let's keep our fingers crossed and... uh, and I was going to say hope for the best, which sounds a bit trite, but, you know, um, there are a lot of us still working towards this, right? So we'll, uh, we'll, keep, it, we'll keep it moving, I guess. 